We're less than a month away from the Formula One season finally getting underway. We know we're going to Austria at the start of July for the first of a double header event, and we've got an eight race partial calendar in place so far. A bit more uncertainty beyond that, but things are going to happen. I'm Ed Straw. Joining me as always is Gary Anderson, and we're going to get into some of the challenges of this early phase of the season and the uncertainty surrounding it. But as always, we're first going to throw to Gary with a an opening question. Uh, this one comes from uh, Paul English, who says, what do you think of the Jordan 191 being included in the, the F1 2020 game? He says he can't wait to give it a drive. You have had a, a quick look at it, haven't you? Yeah, I've had a quick look out of it. And that's, you know, it'll be very, very uh, exciting for me to see it there because obviously it's a car that was uh, the start of my real design career, I suppose, in Formula One. Um, so it's nice to see it there and see it there for all time and for some younger people who I think appreciate that car as well, to, to have an opportunity to drive it. You know, I'm not I'm not the great um, games person myself as far as this is concerned, but, I, you know, personally I would love to have a little go on it, um, just through the fact of trying to, just trying to relate to it a bit. But it's, um, it is great, it's an honour for them to, to have come up with it and put it together, and I'm looking forward to, to getting some, hearing some comments from people who, ha- who do drive it and see what they, they think and how it feels, you know, Obviously, it's a completely different thing from the real car, but um, it'd be interesting to see how it, how it all unfolds. We're going to have to get you to have a go on it at some stage and probably film it for a bit of comedy value. But uh, it's amazing, really, when you think about it. We're 29 years on, and as you've said many times before, you didn't really think the whole Jordan project was likely to come together when you uh, initially committed to it. So it's amazing, really, that this is such a celebrated car, and you see all the comments on social media people excited about it okay it's partly connected to the michael schumacher legend i guess and it is part of the michael schumacher collection of cars but it just shows what an impression that car's made that it's still just beloved by people as one of the one of the best looking cars today and one of the great underdog stories yeah i mean it's a nice car i'm really proud of it to be honest because it was it was done in a in a drawing office with three people um we we sort of started a little bit using cad system at that point in time but not really designing it on CAD, to be honest. It was it was mainly done on a drawing board, and I had a big layout board in the back wall, and you know, did the full car on that. And you know, it was ni- it's nice to sort of think back about it. I've actually got all the drawings, so if we are going to do a drive, and maybe I'll, maybe it's a time to uh, unfold them and have a have a camera and take a few pictures of the the drawings that made that car. Um, and I've probably got the setup sheets and somewhere around, you know, because I, I'm a hoarder as far as all that stuff's concerned. So when it's getting thrown out. It seemed a good idea to have it. So, uh, yeah, we could make a bit of an, an event out of that. Yeah, definitely. This, now's the time to do it. I know we've talked about that for a few years, actually, getting on with that. But uh, like all good ideas, sometimes it takes a while to get, get around to it. But, yeah, we'll certainly uh, come back to the uh, to the 191 fairly shortly, I'm I'm sure. But Formula 1 2020, how, how difficult do you think it's going to be, given you've got eight races in, in 10 weekends? Okay, two of them are double headers, so there's no travelling involved but there's going to be weird procedures in place for traveling etc how much of a challenge is it do you think just for formula one to to wake up from a couple of months of, of slumber and uh, and get going yeah i mean it will be tough but uh, you know on the other side you could say that everybody's had a good break you know normally we're talking about the breaks not very long and you, know, you don't get your get yourself together so easily so drivers mechanics engineers whatever they'll all have had a fairly good break during during this period even though it was enforced and i'm sure they've done plenty of work around the houses but still you know it it does refresh you a little bit the thing is that's difficult is just now kickstarting again and getting back into the routine because if you take pit stops for example normally a team would would carry out pit stops if not every day at least every other day in the factory they'd just be practicing 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 so that sunday whenever it does happen 
you know, you're not surprised by anything. It's, 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 it's just a normal routine job that you're doing because you've done it so many times. But that's the sort of thing where it could trip up. Just just getting to, into the routine again of getting the car started up and making sure everything's okay before you leave the garage. So, we, you know, we are hearing that uh, Mercedes are going to Silverstone with a two-year-old car, Ferrari are going around Fiorano with a two-year-old car. Um, probably it's got two-year-old stickers on the current car, but still. Um, but the, these sort of things, you know, will refresh everybody, but it's it's never quite the same as the discipline you have to have at a Grand Prix. You know, when the, when the pit lane opens, you've got to go out. You can't give it five minutes. You know, to sort of see if the oh, car's not quite started upright or something, you have to use the, t- the time as best possible when you get to Austria. So, it's just the disciplines more than anything else that you got to go through and get yourself back up to speed with all that. Yeah, Mercedes should be uh, doing their early running as, as we speak. Actually, we haven't seen anything from there, but we we assume they're they're getting going. But yeah, as you say, it has to be it has to be a a pre twenty nineteen car. And I know F one's quite uh, quite careful about making sure they don't, they don't get up to any funny business with uh, with this but of course uh, you never know with uh, with F1 teams like i said it's a double header first there's been a bit of talk about the predictability that's almost inevitable of the of the second race obviously the reverse grids plan has been uh, has been dropped as we discussed on the on the last podcast do you think the second races will automatically be repeats of the of the first on face value yeah i think there is a lot of reasons to to expect the same uh, yeah, again, if, as long as the track conditions aren't different, you know, raining for one of them and dry for the other or whatever, then obviously it's going to be down to the teams. But I think, you know, you should learn. You go out at a normal practice session and you do a lot of long running to try and get under, an understanding of the tires and the degradation and how you can manage them. You know, that should happen on the first weekend fairly comprehensively. So it'll be interesting to see what teams could react to the situation that little bit better. For the second race, because it's, you know, and it is in theory the same track, it is in theory the same tires, so perhaps we might see a slight change, but I don't think it'll be enough to overhaul the the the, the situation, you know, and change it around completely. I don't think you know Williams got to finish last the first race and won the next one, so because it's just not like that. But the competition, I think, in the second race, to be honest, the competition should be a little bit tougher. Because it's always the guys that get it right that do very well on race day. And the guys that have done it not quite so right should learn something and perhaps make the competition a bit better. So I don't see a big change in the overall finishing order, but I I see it being a bit more competitive perhaps uh, at the second weekend. But I'd love to have seen a sort of different, something different for the second weekend, some different environment, some change the schedule around a bit or something, but... Anyway, it doesn't seem as though that's going to happen, so let's live with what we've got. We'd love to see some racing, and uh, Austria, here we come. Now, looking at the situation the teams are in, if you'd had a team that was basically asleep for, I think it's 63 days of shutdown they had, and then you're bringing some of your people back into the the factory, because obviously the factories are more sparsely populated because of social distancing, you've still got a lot of people working from home. Okay, I guess the race teams and that kind of thing will be will be more in the factories because it's some, some of your design people who who are perhaps more uh, adept at working from home given what they're doing. But just how difficult do you think it is getting this everything restarted after this long delay? Just very, very weird circumstance, isn't it? Because effectively they've had a almost a long off-season since they last did anything. And even though you can do a few of these practices, like you say, Mercedes are, run, are running currently, Ferrari plan to run. McLaren has said they can't run because they can't get period engines. They either need a 2018 Renault engine or a... Uh, a 16 or 17 Honda spec engine because you have to run in period spec in order to do it. But 
it's almost a, a, an unusual cold start. Teams, I guess, aren't used to, to dealing with this kind of thing. So if you were confronted with that, how would you approach making sure your team's as sharp as possible? Well, that's an interesting challenge, and, and it will show the, you know, the team that's most adapt to, to, to getting on with it. I, you know, Red Bull are the same as as um, McLaren in a way because they obviously were using Renault engines at that point in time. So I'm not sure that they're doing any sort of shakedown or can do any sort of shakedown, at least with a, a current enough vehicle. They might have some of their old show cars that David Coulthard runs around in sometimes, but, you know, that wouldn't be much, very representative. Yeah, they can run, because um, it's strange because they're just a chip in. They... There's the the testing of previous cars, as they call it, is a three year window, which is currently sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, and you can run historic cars, but obviously that's less relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think driving anything probably just gets you up to that little bit, of, you know, that little bit of sharpness back again. But I don't, I don't see Max Verstappen needing it. You know, to be honest, you know, these drivers that okay, they can go to a new track, and within five laps, they're they're okay with the new track just because of the simulation they do and the understanding they have from the engineers and they're walking around the track and all that sort of stuff. So, I don't see, I don't see it as a big necessity for the driver to to get to drive the car again. I see it as a, a fairly decent necessity for the team to get its feet moving, get everything moving again that that, that has to happen. Just getting, you know, just the setup of the pits, the setup of the of the the pit stop equipment, all that sort of stuff needs to put together. And that's no easy task because after such a long period, you know, you'll get little errors creeping in or things that could be little errors creeping in. And you need to sort of eliminate them as best possible. But again, you know, I think the the the, the amount of people they have now, the, the teams have a lot of, of infrastructure basically there. So I believe they'll, they'll cope with it very, very well. I, you know, we saw the IndyCar race uh, from Texas you know, they'd never gone to a first race in, in America on an oval, on a high-speed oval like Texas as well. It all happened. You know, the qualifying went and the race started and there was a few crashes and there was a, a winner at the end of the day. Um, it was all a bit quieter than normal, but nothing dramatic. But the teams responded to it pretty well. A few little errors and pit stops that normally wouldn't have happened. And that's sort of to be expected, I suppose, a, l- a little bit. So you just have to uh, to end up making sure you try and dot the I's and cross the T's. And as a team, the most important thing is you try to to simulate it a little bit. So what Mercedes and Ferrari and anybody else that's running will be doing is trying to simulate a, you know, as many pit stops as possible, You know, starting the car up, getting it out in time, going through all the procedures again and making sure the procedures are in place to, to make sure the car doesn't go out with something not right and stopping on the track, because that's the worst thing that could happen. You, you know, You need to get the... They're running in in Austria, if possible, without any hiccups, and and so it's just a matter of making sure the procedures all work well. And if I was a, a team, I wouldn't be concentrating on the driver, getting him up to speed because I think they're good enough. Uh, they should be living it for the last sixty odd days. You know, the missing of it. Um, so it's just the team procedures, really. Well, that's very much what Mercedes have said. There, they're focusing on. I mean, how difficult do you think it will be in an F one garage? to worry about things like social distancing and they've got protective equipment on etc so it's it's a very familiar environment one that's very well drilled but it's a bit different and this sort of thing of avoiding getting close to people etc even though they'll all have to be COVID-19 tested to be allowed to go in and they're going to test them uh, regularly how difficult do you think that will be if you're trying to do your job and focusing on it but you might be worried about whether your uh, your mechanic on the front right corner is getting a little bit close to you or you're getting it's, it, it it seems just like an extra bit of kind of cognitive load doesn't it that could ultimately be a little bit distracting certainly when they're unfamiliar with it but you know i think that we're stuck in a very difficult situation here because if you take um what the government are saying we should do um 
A, they're changing their mind quite often. You know, I remember the time whenever masks were not doing any good whatsoever, and now you can't go out the door without a mask on. What you've got to do is not rely on, on, on what the government are telling you. You've got to rely on yourself, and you've got to you know, just say to yourself, right, I'm going to be as respectful of this as I can be in a certain scenario. You know, if you do get close to somebody, then just pay attention. You know, just don't don't do the things you shouldn't do. But you've got to, you've got to police yourself. You're in an environment with a motorist or any type of sport where you are going to physically touch someone. You are going to have that happen to you. If you're tested before it, there's a good chance you haven't got it. If somebody does come down with it, there's a good chance you're going to come down with it. They're all young, fit people. So, you know, I don't think that they're going to be dramatically disadvantaged by the fact that they have to respect this social distancing. You just have to do the best you can in a certain environment. And I, I think, you know, we're all guilty of wanting the government to tell us what to do. Um, that's, that's not what should happen. Your own survival is important. You have to survive yourself, you know. Whenever you're driving your car down the road, there's nobody telling you to turn left or turn right. You've got to make your own decisions. And it's the same with this with COVID-19. You've got to make your own decisions and, and do your own discipline. If you don't feel comfortable in a situation, you're not going to be forced into that situation. So it's up to you to police yourself. It's going to be really, really strange as well, just the whole paddock environment, isn't it? Because normally, outside of the garages, we're used to the F1 paddock and all the motorhomes. There's a lot of mingling going on, obviously. People who work for the teams... There's lots of people who know each other well, who've worked with each other in the past. So you see a huge amount of intermingling and just general conversations. And then you've got other people in the paddock. You've got journalists wandering around. But all the teams within that biosphere, they're, they're having to be kept separate as well. So if you are working for, say, McLaren, you can't go and have a chat with your mate at, at Racing Point or, or whatever. So that that's going to be a str- just add a, a layer of strangeness, isn't it? And just a kind of otherworldliness to, to a very familiar environment. Yeah, it is, but I think you can still, I don't see why you can't do that, but you have to, at that point in time, that's when the social distancing comes in. Your own little group, your own little biosphere, as they call it, of people, you know, are all going to stay as a group. So they will be closer than the, the two-meter rec- recognized um, distancing. But if you're going to, you know, speak to somebody at Force Indy, you have to respect that two-meter distancing. And I think that can all be done very well. You know, Ed, you and I were at the pre-season test in Barcelona when, the, when this thing all reared its ugly head. And, you know, we were standing there next door to Italians and Spanish people talking to them. Um, you know, we didn't know anything about it at that point in time, but it was on its way. But, you know, we come back and we're still here. So it is, you know, it's a chance and I don't know what the chances is, but I'm going to say it's a chance in a million to get to, to catch it. And it still is that. It's even less than that now relative to, you know, the, the group of people that's going to a race. So, I think we can make a big thing out of it, but I, I, I think it's necessary to get something going for the general public to appreciate, be it football, cricket, tennis, golf, I don't care, motorsport, motorbikes, whatever. You know, that's what a lot of people look forward to. That's what a lot of people have as their hobby. And whenever you take away their their life and their work and, and everything and their hobby, it's just a bit too much. So I think it can be done fairly successfully. I think you just got to keep an eye on it and you've got to monitor it day by day and if you do all that properly i think it will come out successful yeah and it's uh, it's very positive formula one has done this uh, done this so quickly obviously we are seeing some sports firing up bundesliga football in germany the premier league's coming up in in england we've got snooker going on in uh, in milton Keynes. so a few things are starting but it's quite the logistical challenge with the amount of travel involved and to have a big international event effectively 
I guess F1's probably going to be the first of that ilk uh, that requires people travelling in from all over the place. I'm not quite sure what things like tennis are doing, but with so many people required. I mean, I've I've been really impressed with how quickly they've they've done it because I thought it would be late August, probably before this, the, the earliest possibility uh, when we were in that in that shutdown period. So to get going, yeah, pr- pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, I think you know to be honest, it's one of those sort of situations where they've done a, a very impressive job. As I said in one of our earlier podcasts, the most important thing for me was to, for them to put in a calendar um, so they could try and work to something. Because, you know, this situation was going to change day by day. It still is changing day by day. So unless they put a program together that they could sort of make happen, and then uh, as the days go past, you can change it. But if you haven't got anything together, then the, for the teams to get themselves organized and set up and for everything to happen as far as getting all the planes organized for flying people there from all different parts of the world and stuff, it would be too much. So doing a, a, a penciling in a few dates and trying to set the plan in, in action was a very, very good thing. And I think that's the most important thing they did. And then obviously with um, Matasic owning the Red Bull ring, you know, he could make some decisions as far as his circuit was concerned without having to consult too many people. And uh, Helmut Marko obviously did a good job in pushing it through and they got the government behind it. Um, so at the end of the day, they're, they're starting in the right place. If you're going to try and start somewhere else where you had to get decisions made by, you know, board, government or whatever, then I think it would be a different story. But by kick-starting it at Austria, it's a perfect scenario, uh, and then others will follow. But to try and, as I say, get a kick-started somewhere else might have just been a bit more difficult. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a great location for that, and Dietrich Mateschitz seems to own half of the surrounding area, and uh, there's hotel interest and all kind of thing. I remember staying in Graz down the road and discovered that it was owned by the hotel was owned by Helmut Marko so there's lots of uh, Red Bull involvement and investment in that uh, in that region we talked about teams being rusty and that there's been concerns about reliability or rather for example Toto Wolff has said you know, it's going to be really important to get off to a good start in terms of reliability and not have failures etc these these are unraced unrace proven cars aren't they so there will be weaknesses that perhaps haven't been uh, exposed by the the, the bench testing and the and, and pre-season testing and it'd probably be quite warm as well in Austria it normally is certainly the temperature was a problem for Mercedes uh, in 2019 so would you expect there to be a bit more reliability troubles than than normal do you think that's going to be a concern particularly with the fact everyone's a little bit rusty um yeah I would expect it to be I mean we're we're just I was looking through this morning to see what we'd said about the pre-season testing and basically you know this is just the end of pre-season testing now in reality yeah, the cars have had a little bit of a dot the I's and cross the T's before they went off to, to Melbourne. Um, but we haven't seen anything since pre-season testing. So we're, we're you know, we're genuinely starting the season. So reliability issues could pop up. As you say, temperature issues. I think Mercedes have reacted to that this year, uh, both from the engine point of view and from the, the chassis point of view, to make sure they eliminated those critical temperature areas that they were getting into. Um but again, it's the same old thing. You know, Red Bull have always been good at, at the Red Bull ring, and uh, Max Verstappen's got a pretty good record around there. So the competition might be quite tough. And I think Red Bull know that they have to start the season well if they're going to try and win the championship, because over the last couple of years, that's where they've let themselves down. So they're going to the Red Bull ring, you know, all cook a hook to, to, to do a good job. So I don't think Andy's going to be sort of treating it like the first race of the year and making sure they get as many points as possible. This could be a very limited season, and um, scoring big points is going to be very important from day one. So um, the teams just need to make sure they've done everything right. You know, in the old days, you know, whenever you were 
running engines, you used to have to just, you know, turn them over every every day, just make sure that they didn't sit in one position, all that sort of stuff. Same with the gearboxes, same with upright assemblies and all that. If they have been sitting around and not rebuilt or not stripped or not looked at, then strange little things can happen. You know, the bearings sitting in one position, for example. Um, so who knows what can happen? But reliability could be a bigger problem than normal with this extra, what, two months of them being parked up. So it'll be interesting to see who does the most work before they actually start running or who just lets it, lets it be and says, yeah, it was all right for Melbourne, so it'll be all right for now. Things are a little bit uncertain beyond those first eight races. There's a multitude of Grand Prix that it's hoped will happen. There's ones we expect will probably be cancelled. Obviously, races like Singapore, Baku are tricky because they're, they're street circuits. Those could well be lost. Japan looks like a big doubt. They're not selling tickets at the moment. Sochi could well happen, could have a double header, could not happen at all. Austin can't have more than 250 people gathered together on current rules. Mexico and Brazil want to run, but there's question marks over those. The, the, the back end of the season with Abu Dhabi and Bahrain seems fairly well set, and we might see doubleheaders at, at both of those. And in fact, Bahrain's got a few uh, circuit configurations approved as well. If you remember, they used the, the extra long track in, in 2010, so that could create a bit of variety. But this is very, very movable, isn't it? We know Formula One gunning for 18 races. They'll be happy if they can hit 15 to tick the broadcast uh, spending, uh, broadcast income box. How difficult is that? that you just don't know what's going to go on. You don't know whether after Monza they're going to go on to Hockenheim or Imola or Mugello or whether they're going to be off to to, to Baku. It's it's a, r- a real mess to know what, what actually is going to go on, by necessity, but not an easy situation. No, I think it's, um, it's an exciting situation, to be honest, from my point of view, because the unknown is always a good thing. Um, y- y- there will be more races. I'm sure that the, the F1, Liberty Media, and Ross Braun, his, his colleagues have... I've set a sort of plan for a certain amount of races somehow to get them done. And as you say, um, there are there are circuits that have got different configurations that could be used. And it would be interesting to see if we do pop up with the odd one of those because obviously that doesn't change anything. It's just a different circuit. I'm a little surprised that Silverstone hasn't tried to bring in some of its slightly different configuration, but maybe it is too varied what's available at Silverstone. Um, so... If you can use that sort of thing, then that's very good because it does bring in another, another sort of part to the equation. But I think that if if we can get you know if we can get the fourteen or fifteen races, then we've done pretty we've done they'll have done pretty well. We're halfway there with the eight, so it's not too difficult to see the other you know two different tracks, double header. That's four more. So I think it could happen. Uh, it could happen that we get a sort of fifteen, maybe sixteen race championship this year, which would be very very good. I don't think Brazil and Mexico are, are places that I would start to plan to be used this year. They're they're still in the in the deep of it, um, to be honest. And you know they're not uh, they're the countries that you would question as to how they get out of it a little bit. So I think you have to look at uh, at other places, um, and I'm sure they're doing that. So as I say, half the season now in place, another half to go, and I'm sure that that uh, they've got time to do that. And I think they should try to get it all done before Christmas as well. I don't think it should run into 20, 2021. I think it has to be trying done and dusted by the end of this year. How would you be approaching developments if you were sat there as technical director of a team? It's still important to push on. Obviously, the cars are being carried over next year, but you have got this crazily condensed calendar and you're not totally sure how many races there's going to be in terms of manufacturing parts. So what would your strategy be? Well, my strategy would be to to get these first eight races moving um, and put a plan in place to for development. 
of whatever you can do basically so that by the by the time the season does end by your races in november on potentially the beginning of december wherever they be you have as many bets going on the car as, as you physically can because you know the reality of us these are 35 to 40 race cars that you've got now and they're going to end up at the end of the season being you know 21 22 25 race cars so you've got to try and get everything you can onto it by the end of the season to make sure that you've got the best out of it for the next season that doesn't mean you're, you're compromising this season by any means uh it just it just means that you're piling together as much stuff as you can um before you before the season ends so that you can put it on as a lump package as such um so other than dotting the i's and crossing the t's and little bits and pieces that are required for each circuit in that first eight races i would be concentrating mainly on getting the best out of what you get you can, you've got understanding it in the best way possible so you just don't make bets you have to make bets that make it better understand the car you've got identify the problems and rectify them and put them on in the last half of the season to try and make sure that 2021 is as good as possible how interested are you to see what turns up in austria because obviously it's not four months worth of development because they've been in shutdown but teams would already have had new bits to throw on the car in in melbourne we caught a glimpse of a few bits and pieces but not the not the final cars on that Thursday before everything was uh, was cancelled, and there will have been some extra time. So, do you think there's potential for things to shuffle around then, even before we've we've had the the first race? Given that there is 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 a chunk more time, and also a lot of the downstream developments and ideas would have been worked on long before even testing started. So, there's probably quite a lot that could have been signed off and made and uh, and ready to run for for Austria. Yeah, I would imagine that there's quite a few changes on, on some of the cars and, and most people had planned for for Melbourne to be, you know, a, an aerodynamic update as such. Uh, that wouldn't have happened, but for sure there would have been things in the pipeline that uh, needed to be finished, I suppose. If they were started and under manufacture, then they will be finished by now. And that, I mean, most of the teams are now back at work as such with, you know, m- more or less a, a month to go before the first race, three weeks at least. So... Those th- those things will be finished and be going on the cars, and they had a, a bit of time after coming back from Melbourne to get some new bits underway. So I, I would expect the cars to be, they should be significantly different, or they should have significantly different parts on them here and there. Whether they'll be different in performance, that's another story. But you know, we hear Ferrari are saying they've got what twenty horsepower more or something. Um, all that we'll have to wait and see what what happens. But you know, nothing ever stops. You know, if you've got a design engineer and you're at home and you're working and thinking about stuff, you know, you might you might not be actually able to finalise it and dot the I's and cross the T's on it, but you can definitely get rid of a lot of the potential problems just just by thinking for longer about something. You know, I'm I'm working on a couple of projects here at home and that's what I do. You know, you, I, I spend a couple of hours every day doing a bit of this and a bit of that. It gives you time to think between times. You're not just sitting down and, and having to come up with something now because that's what you need. You can put it off to tomorrow a little bit. So I think we'll see some good parts because of, as I say, of increased thinking time for some of these clever people. And I guess that the, the pressure will be on in terms of that development, because as you say, because of the extended life of the cars, there's restrictions coming in for next year as uh, as well. There's also the the other factors to to put in the, the sliding scale aero testing regulations that will be based on this year's constructors championship so that there's lots of things at stake in this season that will have a knock-on effect not just in 2021 but even in 2022 in terms of dictating how much uh, 
aero development work you can have, which of course actually you get more the worse you do, funnily enough. So there's a lot of there's a lot of factors, aren't there, that, that makes this a very not it's just in every way it's not a normal season, is it? No, it's not a normal season by any means, but but again, that's one of the exciting parts because everything's changing. You know, you're gonna to have to be looking very carefully at where you where you're finishing in the championship and you know, your your money, your budget, your points. Uh, if you've got the budget for next season, I think you know. Then you have to sort of think about the fact you could um, you could maybe throw away a, f- a, f- a few places in this season and get more development time for twenty twenty two. So there's lots of little games that could be played, but you've got also got to be careful that you don't um, cut your own throat because you know sometimes it's just better to get on with it as normal because your company works as normal. Just do the best job you can, recognize your problems, and just get on with it. If that means you end up one place better in the championship and you lose a bit of wind tunnel time then look at using that wind tunnel time that you have better. I don't think you, you can get too clever sometimes. I think you've got to be careful of all that. But it is going to be different for sure. And some teams will react to that difference and some teams will just, as I say, get on with it in the best way possible. Yeah, I think teams are going to probably emerge from this better and more robust, won't they? Because that they'll they'll learn new things. There's new demands. They're going to have to be just facing things that they've they've never faced before. And I guess you you always learn through confronting new things but it's going to probably make for a really interesting championship isn't it given it's so condensed given there's going to be little time to to recover you're going to need to set your course in terms of development because there's quite a big lag in the in the research and development uh, system isn't there it's not like you finished thinking of a part today and then it's on the car tomorrow plus you've also got the challenge of manufacturing you know you've got two austria races how many front wing assemblies are you going to want for austria given how many get broken on those those sausage curves you know all these challenges there'll be production people production heads sat in teams thinking oh this is a this is a challenge isn't it and you don't want to make too many of one spec of front wing assembly but you need a contingency so yeah there's there's so many things to think about yeah i know you're right there in, in saying that you know you go to melbourne and usually you know you're you're fairly scarce on parts to be honest it's the, the big guys have usually got enough but yeah, you can be fairly scarce on parts, especially if something's not quite right. You know, let's say you have a problem with the front wing pillar cracking or something silly like that. You know, it's something that can bite you. And, and again, going to Austria, two race weekends, the weekend after each other, and as you say, the sausage curbs and the bits and pieces there, you could very easily damage your car. So I think it's going to be a bit, have to be a bit of respect on, on all the parts that's, uh, that's necessary to make sure you can see through. You know, it's going to be 1,500 kilometres of, of car running-ish between the two race weekends. But um, one of the things the big teams have concentrated on lately, uh, over the last, well, lately, last 10 years probably, is to be able to, to react to manufacturing a lot faster than, than they were before because that meant they could spend more time on research and press the button later on making it, make it faster and get it to the circuit. Um and that was actually more important to them than even increasing wind tunnel time or, or research time. Just give them more time because you had more thinking time. So they'll be benefiting from, from that situation. Whereas teams that might get stuff manufactured outside or more manufactured outside um, are still stuck with those same situation. Those outside companies, you know, they can only react to a certain extent. They're, they're only X manpower. They can't, they're not investing in the much bigger machines or better machines or more people or whatever. So the the big teams again that have reacted to this situation and and reduced their, their manufacturing time will be beneficial. Again, it's the same as, same as anything, you know. The big boys just do it better. That's why they're the big boys. 
yeah, the biggest and the biggest and best teams will be the ones that uh, have the success. That's the the way it normally goes. Uh, well, thanks very much, Gary, for your insight into the early stages of the coming season. Uh, we'll be back next week with more from the Gary Anderson F1 show. And in a few weeks' time, we'll have a proper Gary Anderson season preview as well. So that's something to look forward to. Thanks for listening and join us again next week. 